Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Meaningful Learning Podcast channel with me, Dr. Samantha Cotrera. On this podcast channel, you'll find a collection of my conference presentations from 2016 onward. To learn more information about this work, as well as all my work, visit my website at www.samanthacotrera.com. This paper is called Meta-Narratives of Confederation, the lessons of big history as told through children's nonfiction. I presented this paper at the CHA, the Canadian History Association, at Ryerson University in Toronto, Ontario, in May 2017. In May 2017, I had just completed a series for the blog Active History on the representation of Canadian history in children's nonfiction, and this paper was kind of a, a coming together of some big ideas related to Confederation in particular. It was um, a really interesting panel because I was on a panel with two uh, Confederation historians, and so we were able to talk about the different perspectives of Confederation from uh, my perspective of representation in children's nonfictions, as well as different interpretations as seen through primary sources. Uh, I've really enjoyed this paper, and it led to an EB award, an IBBY award, in which I was able to look at children's graphic novels related to Canadian history. Uh, enjoy this paper. It, again, was the start of some new work for me, and I, I'm really proud of the, the work that came out of it. So thank you so much for coming out. Um, thank you for the introduction. So my name is uh, Samantha Gutrera, and I've been creating history education strategies for about uh, 15, 20 years right now. So I identify myself as a history education strategist, a consultant with different institutions. Um, and so if I was going to identify myself as a historian, which I don't normally do, it would be in the realm of public history. So I recognize that this is probably a little bit, well, it's a lot different than the three papers to come, um, but it hopefully we'll be able to bring it all together in discussion. Before I begin, I want to recognize that we're on the traditional territories of the Mississauga, the New Credit, the Huron Wendat, um, and the Haudenosaunee, and that part of our job through reconciliation is to understand what that means for us to do work, to live, and to research on this territory. So in the past, I have argued that uh, most people understand history as distinct spaces unconnected to each other, with particular events and peoples as standouts for what they remember and understand about these spaces. This isn't the whole of what people believe and understand about the past, but this is how many people understand national history, broadly speaking. There are a lot of contributing factors to how people come to know these historic spaces. Public commemoration is one, local public history events and monuments are another, history curriculum is a third, but in following an um, uh, uh, organization called A Mighty Girl on Facebook that uh, lists different um, types of media and toys for young girls, but it's American, um, and in following a lot of their posts about children's books, I began to think about how children's historical books, nonfiction and fiction, um, are another way that young people learn about and understand these historic spaces about the past. Children's historical books serve many purposes. It can teach children about history as well as de develop emotion and empathy about figures from the past. Freeman and Levesque state that historian, historical fiction is part of an ongoing process of historical interpretation in which the child is an active participant. In my own experience as a child reading historical fiction, fiction can also help the reader project into another world and develop a contextualized understanding of the past by thinking of oneself as part of it. 
Well, we as educators, historians, theorists, scholars, recognize that historical fiction cannot be uh, ingested uncritically. Historical fiction still serves as an entry point into the past for many children in ways that are more colorful, creative, and emotional than traditional public history or curriculum. But I question as to whether children's history books ratify an understanding of the past as distinct and unconnected spaces. Ratify or maybe create, which then can act as a barrier in later history learning for more contextualized understandings of the past. In particular, with books that present what could be considered other or difficult histories, are these books serving as narrative interventions or intersections into a more traditional narrative of the nation that people are exposed to in daily life? Or in our use of reading of children's books, do we unwillingly uh, create and ratify the distinction between Canadian history, what is Canadian history, and what are the other histories in Canada? Over three posts for over three po posts for active history, um, I've looked at this idea in more depth by exploring a section of children's books on particular topics that one could consider other to mainstream Canadian history. My intention was not to critique the children's books, but to deconstruct the semiotics of the historic spaces that get created through the medium of children's books, to be used in this understanding to enhance our teaching of contextualized and problematized histories of the nation. These, those three blog posts were to accumulate for to, in today, to then to be able to think about them in relation to confederation, and to think through what meta-narratives get, get created in books about confederation that would be undisputably understood as Canadian history, and then what could be considered other in the similar time periods. Um, I'll be referencing these uh, blog posts throughout my talk, um, and you're obviously more than welcome to go visit those for more details about my findings. Many people say that children and youth don't actually have a formed idea of Canadian history in their heads, but I want to really disagree, because I want to point out of the semiotics of Canadian culture that, that young people are exposed to all the time. Thus, this, this semiotics of it form a particular text that build a literacy of what counts as Canadian culture and Canadian history once they arrive in classrooms. I then would and have argued that students being able to express this literacy is often the marker of how and what they understand Canadian history and often how their position to, uh, their position to belonging in the nation. The ideas that I'm speaking about come from a, uh, a long line of uh, different theories related to learning theory, semiotics, deconstruction, post-structuralism, literary theory, critical race theory. Um, but I'm going to move off of talking more about theory as well as methodology in order to talk more about the children's books themselves. Before I move on, however, I want to identify that why understanding ch the narratives of children's books are important for historians. Um, yes, we can say that they are complete and accurate. Yes, we can talk about the limitations of this as a medium for teaching and learning history. But I've always held that the importance of history is to tell ourselves more about ourselves in the present by understanding ourselves in the past. To understand that things, the way we see things or believe the world to be is always more varied, diverse, and complicated than at first glance. This means that a large part of our work as historians, and I use our liberally because I recognize the historian work that I do is different than academic history, 
But the large part of this work of historians then is to teach, to converse with experts, yes, but to share knowledge with others as part of knowledge mobilization. To share with experts, but also to share with novices, such as your undergraduates, uh, as well as members of the public. So if a large part of our job is to share what we find, then we need to know what these novices in particular are coming to our learning with. Learning is a choice. Meaningful learning requires three things. Meaningful material, connection to prior knowledge, and the choice of the learner. Learning theory shows that, that uh, any new knowledge has to connect with what learners already know, even if that is incorrect. And so part of our jobs as educators is to identify what they know in order to move past it. Thus, the meta-narratives of confederation that get formed through children's books lay a foundation for what your first and second year students believe to be true about Canadian history and about this moment of building a nation. And that to modify these knowings, to modify their understanding, to uh, make it bigger, we have to acknowledge what they are. And this is especially true at this moment of reckoning with truth and reconciliation with the Indigenous peoples and non-Indigenous peoples of Canada. So with these ideas in mind, I took the role of a parent who either wanted to engage their child in learning about uh, Canada by reading books at home, or a parent who needs to help their child do research um, for a, a school project. Um, and so inspired by the books that I was seeing through A Mighty Girl, I wanted to find picture books for children aged five to eight um, related to Canadian history. I also want to find representations of four histories that I understand as overlapping in terms of the timelines of the Canadian story. That's Confederation, residential schools, Chinese laborers on the railway, and women's suffrage. Now, I've identified 1815 to 1880 here as a historic space, although I recognize, of course, women didn't get the, suffrage, suff uh, the vote until the early 20th century. But there was a lot of activism during this period that does intersect with these narratives. Um, and in a lot of American books about women's suffrage, it's really situated in the 19th century, and, and a, lot of our, uh, a lot of our work in Canada um, identifies this as well. <coughs> Now, for clarity, historians, when I say Canada, I'm referencing a political entity that we now identify as Canada. Although I recognize that to decolonize how we speak about the Canadian nation, um, the lands that we identify as Canada is, doesn't belong to anyone and that we were stewards on this land. Um, I also recognize that Canada doesn't actually easily narrate the political and colonial changes during this time. But just for clarity and continuity, I'm just going to say Canada. So broadly speaking, the books I found on residential schools divorced political power from the actions of the church, and they were situated in the 20th century, not the 19th century. Uh, I found no books on suffrage, um, kind of. Uh, and the books I found on Chinese laborers during railway const uh, construction often insinuated a home that was not here. They were always others and foreigners that were going to be going back home. Um, I looked at residential schools first, and I was critical that there were only eight storybooks for me to look at. But then in going through the other topics, I actually felt quite spoiled by having eight topics, or eight picture books, um, because that was the most of children's books in this particular genre, five to eight storybooks, on any of the topics. And this was especially true for Confederation. So Confederation was really easy to search. I didn't have to modify search criteria or be cre creative like some, with some of the others. Um, and my library search also results in some creative titles, such as Confederation, Confederation, <laughs> Confederation, 
Confederation. There were a couple others. Um, I can't remember their titles, but I'm pretty sure Confederation was, was in there. Uh, 26 titles came up on my search. Um, only 20 were about Confederation. And like the railway, um, the books about the railway, a lot of these were in series of books. For the most part, all the books were nonfiction and followed a similar pattern of contemporary writing with a blend of art, uh, archival photographs about the era, illustrations or paintings, some contemporary, some historical, for readers 8 to 12, so not my original kind of identification. Uh, neither implicitly nor explicitly interesting or accessible because they were often chapter books and very text heavy. And who was everywhere? John A. was everywhere. On every co cover, on every text, um, there were some books that, um, that weren't even about confederation or confederation at arm's length, but he was a central figure. However, unlike books on suffrage in which you couldn't talk about the topic without using N Nellie McClung as a rallying point, it was easy to talk about confederation without hanging on to John A. Instead, he was a figure, a major figure, uh, whose importance should be acknowledged, but others were acknowledged too, such as George Brown, Georgienne Cartier, and Louis Riel. Uh, conflict and compromise amongst the fathers of Confederation was not shied away from. Confederation was situated in a continental struggle for sovereignty and different forms of independence from the United States. Many of the books started 100 years before 1867. Um, many books spent as much time, so like a two-page spread, on the War of 1812 as they did on the Charlottetown Accord, for example. Um, the comparative relationship with us, but situated in a Canadian context, was best summed up in one of the texts by Wiseman when he wrote, the players in this story include First Nations, the Métis, Great Britain, France, and even the United States all fought for control of the lands that later became Canada. However, uh, in the text, including Wiseman's, more was said about the United States trying to pull control than Métis or First Nations people. Uh, confederation was often identified that people were, quote, beginning to stand up for themselves, as demonstrated by the rebellions in the 1830s. The book in uh, Confederation in the Dreadful Truth series had more critical histories saying that Canadians were snobby and that politics was, a, quote, a guy thing, um, and even referencing an 1891 lawsuit against Charles Tupper by a woman who accused him of impregnating her. Uh, this book also said that the fathers, fathers of Confederation were often in it for themselves, painting this idea of compromise in, in, a, in a much different way. However, this book was set up as kind of a series of factoids, and the book's tone and facts, um, uh, while would have been interesting if students were using this in their learning, um, wouldn't get a lot of play in classroom because it was really off script, and that was really clear. And when I first typed off script in my research notes, I realized what a prominent theme that was for Confederation. What I learned from Confederation books was that these books narrated the foundation of Canada, and they were often unapologetically dry and colorless because they were saying that we're providing this foundation. They rarely diverged from a roster of facts, dates, and names of what got this particular agreement signed. And what is most notable about the books on Confederation is that they explicitly set the tone for this moment and narrative of the past and what makes and what has made Canada. So with the presence of, um, oh, so this sets the tone, right? Uh, unapologetically 
text. So with the presence of uh, John A, with the uh, photograph of the Charlottetown Accord, the lack of women, um, especially outside of the traditional roles of wives and children, the tokenistic showings of First Nations people, um, the painting that kind of uh, suggests compromise by having someone row up to pick everybody up, which would never have happened in those suits. The, um, the portrait of Rial that often kind of invokes in this idea of a mugshot. All of these images and the, the heavy texts that surround them are signs that narrate the um, idea of Canada and the Canadian nation that set the, the, ground, the foundation for what people understand about what makes Canada. I critique residential school books for not linking to politics enough. I critique suffrage books for being too individual focused. I critiqued books representing Chinese laborers on the railways being too much about otherness. But these books, these books on confederation set the tone for all of those other narratives by removing themselves from the process of colonialization or radical activism or an exploitive, uh, exploitive or exclusionary vision of labor and nation building. Canada becomes a nation through the narratives that build nation, as well as the political acts themselves. These books for children identify what it is that they should be understanding about the, the, and respecting about the due process and product of Canada. I say that they, but I also identify us, because we also were children that were framed by this. And I say that because um, a lot, uh, there were very few books that were published in the last 10 years. A lot of the books that were available at the Toronto Public Library, a very large library, uh, were from the 60s, from the 80s. So how do I finish this paper without uh, implicit suggestion that the history in the children's books need to be rewritten? Well, first, the history needs to be rewritten. And I think that's one of the superpowers that historians have. Um, at an evening celebrating uh, Black Women in Canada by Historica Canada, award-winning uh, award Jamaican-Canadian dub poet Dubai Young stated that issues around racism and sexism and classism and ageism and ableism and homophobia and all of those things are really about lack of self-knowledge. A lack of awareness about who and where we have been and the lack of understanding about how we are all connected and we come from the same root and that we have to understand these connections to each other. This statement has resonated with me so strongly because of how true it is. The more we understand the multiplicity of experiences in the past, the more we can understand our commonalities in the present. The late Michael Bliss wrote in one of the children's books, he wrote two uh, children's books on confederation, that sometimes studying history is like eating junk food. Some countries have a history of exciting wars and revolutions. Their history seems attractive and easy to take, but often the end result is not very digestible and easily forgotten. He obviously is not eating good junk food. Uh, on the other hand, studying history can often be a lot like swallowing cod liver oil or eating pablum. It is a bitter medicine or a tasteless food that may be good for you only if you can't bear to swallow it. He then says in his book about confederation, I've tried to present Candace's history as more nourishing than junk food and more interesting than pablum, something like a good main course. Um, however, I think that a more apt metaphor to think about the histories of Canada, especially at this moment of the sesquicentennial and this moment of truth and reconciliation, is to think of Canadian history as a buffet of experiences and even an invitation to a potluck in which we can all bring different things to be able to create a new vision together. 
uh, although this idea of um, uh, development um, can be a misnomer because often, because uh, colonialism really divorced a lot of spirituality from the, the current uh, land that we're on, this idea of being able to develop new narratives can help us understand our current nation together. As historians, we can think of our work as contributing to this buffet, and to be open for this buffet, to turn into a potluck, like I said, where dishes can be thought of to transform the collective experiences of sharing narratives, sharing stories, and sharing food. Thank you.